0: Good morning. I heard heard y'all say good morning. (laughs) Good morning. I feel like y'all are so far away from me. I'm tempted. If this camera was not here, I would come right out um, so I could be closer to you. Well, when a person goes and meets with a therapist for the first time, they often share with the therapist what the therapist refers as the presenting problem. This is what the person believes is the main issue that they're bringing into this therapeutic situation. And the person believes that for healing to take place, that problem needs to be addressed. But any good therapist understands that for deep healing to take place in that person's life, you and the client need to discover and focus the therapy around what's the deeper problem that's going on in that person's life. Jacob grew up believing that Esau was his main problem. And I believe if he went to a therapist for help, that's what he would have focused on. He had tricked Esau into selling his birthright to him. Then he deceived Isaac in order to gain the firstborn's blessing. And then for 20 years, Jacob was on the run from Esau. So you can understand why he thought Esau was his main problem. So in Genesis 32, when God told Jacob he needed to go home and face Esau, you can imagine the fear that grew in Jacob's heart. But what we see in our passage this morning is that Jacob's main problem wasn't with Esau at all. Jacob's main problem was with God. And for healing and transformation to occur in our lives, we need to discover what our real problem is. And then we need to ask God to do healing work in our lives. So as we look at our text this morning, I want us to focus on two things. First, God wrestles with Jacob. And then secondly, God blesses Jacob. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear truth, Lord, that you would transform our hearts as we hear this word preached. Pray that you take away distractions around us and help us to focus. To hear what you have for us today. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. So I want to encourage you to open your bulletin or you can look in your Bible. And the first thing that I want us to look at is that God wrestles with Jacob. Now, at dusk, in anticipation of meeting Esau, Jacob needed some time alone to collect his thoughts, to calm his fears. And to come up with a plan so that he might survive this encounter with Esau. Look at verse 23. The author tells us he took them, Leah, Rachel, and his children and servants, and he sent them across the stream, the Jabbok River, with everything else that they had. And then as the darkness fell over that place, Jacob stayed behind and he sat on the banks of Of the river. And I'm sure he could hear in the distance the faint noise of children laughing, of Leah and Rachel talking, of lambs and cattle. And then he could feel the cold breeze coming off the black rushing water. Jacob's heart was heavy and full of fear. And he knew that no amount of scheming or deception would prevent him from finally coming face to face with Esau. Well, look at verse 24. The author tells us that he was going to have another encounter before he met Esau. And as he sat alone in the darkness of the night, a mysterious man came out of nowhere and jumps Jacob. And the two begin to wrestle until the breaking of day for six hours. Jacob and this mysterious man wrestled one another. And as hard as Jacob tried, he could not pin the man down. And then in verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out a joint as he wrestled with him. After wrestling for six hours, the mysterious man, with one touch, dislocated Jacob's hip. He deeply wounds Jacob, literally paralyzing his leg. And for the rest of Jacob's life, he was going to walk with a limp. I remember playing football when I was on staff with the university. And we would play, and Aaron Morrow, who many of you know, he attends church here, he and I were kind of like competitors. He was a year younger than I was. I was on staff. He was still a student. He was taller, 6'3", faster than I was. And we were playing a football game. I was a wide receiver, and he was playing defense on me. And so the play was for me to go 10 yards, turn around, and then go to the end zone. And so I was like, this time I'm going to beat Aaron. And I'm going to get to the end zone, and I'm going to score. And so I took off. I stopped. I turned around, and I went, and I thought, Aaron, Aaron. I can't hear him behind me. Well, he's like a gazelle. And so as we got closer and closer to the end zone, I could hear his breathing behind me. And then as I turned around to catch the ball, I saw Aaron, and I just hit the ball with my ring finger up. And the ball went up in the air, and Aaron tried to grab it, and I grabbed it, and I caught it, and I fell to the ground, and I scored. And I was thrilled to death. And then all of a sudden, this wrenching pain came over me and I looked down at my ring finger and part of my finger was pointing this way and the other part was pointing this way. It was completely dislocated and then I started feeling nauseous and I thought I was going to throw up because I was in so much pain from just dislocating my finger. Now if that much pain comes from a dislocated finger can you imagine the pain that Jacob was experiencing when this mysterious man touched and dislocated his hip. And when that happened, Jacob realized that this man that he had been wrestling with all night long was not a man at all. For that man had supernatural strength, power enough to dislocate and permanently damage his hip. And so wreathing in pain, Jacob suddenly realizes that this man is God. And Jacob sees for the first time that his whole life, he thought that Esau was the one that he had a problem with. Jacob had wondered why in the world was he second born? Why did his dad love Esau more than him? Why did Esau hate him so much? And then God comes. He wrestles with Jacob all night long. He permanently wounds his hip. And by so doing, he pins his ego to the ground. And verse 24 literally means a man came and Jacobed him. Wrestled with him. God says to Jacob, you have thought all this time that your problem is with Esau. And as a result, you've lied and you've schemed to gain control of your circumstances. But in actuality, you have been trying to control me. You have been angry about the brother I gave you, the dad I gave you, the station in your life. But through this wound, Jacob discovers his true problem is with God, not Esau. God wrestles Jacob, cripples him so that he can build Jacob back up when I was in college I interned at my church here in Greensboro Trinity Church with the youth group and the youth pastor was a guy named Chuck and throughout the summer I interacted with Chuck I interacted with the kids and I kept in, in my mind thinking that Chuck you know you could be doing things differently and you're not doing this well and you're not actually discipling this kid really well And I kept all that to myself, but inside, I was having this bitterness and anger toward Chuck. And so two-thirds of the way through the summer, as a young, arrogant college student, I thought, I'm going to confront Chuck. And so I went to Chuck and said, hey, I don't think you're doing a great job here. And I think you need to disciple differently. And I'll never forget, he looked at me, and he wasn't angry, and he said, you know, Todd, I need to think for a second about whether or not I'm going to ask you to resign. So you need to leave my office, and then I'll talk to you tomorrow. And I remember in that moment, I thought, oh my gosh. And I went to the sanctuary in that church, and I went to the altar, and I knelt, and I just wept and wept and wept, so loud that Joe McKinney who was the worship director who was in the office next to the church sanctuary, came in and he knelt next to me and I told him what happened. And he said, Todd, you've thought all summer that your problem was with Chuck. But your problem wasn't with Chuck. Your problem is that you don't trust God. And you're not willing to surrender to his authority. And maybe through this instance, God is trying to break you so that he can remake you and break your arrogance. Maybe he's pinning you to the ground like God pinned Jacob to the ground. I wonder, in what ways has God crippled you so that he can build you back up? Maybe you have thought that a particular relationship was your main problem. Or an addiction to a particular substance. But God comes in the middle of the night. Pins you to the ground. And says your problem is ultimately with me. And the solution is only found in me. Beauty and affliction are the two means in which God transforms us. We all prefer beauty. But what we see in our text this morning is that sometimes God chooses affliction to draw us near to himself. And so the first point this morning is that God wrestles with Jacob. The second point is God blesses Jacob. Jacob had spent his whole life seeking his father's approval. And although he had received a blessing from Isaac and God, he never really let that blessing move from his head to his heart. So many times we know all the right answers. We know the truth, but we continue to act like an orphan because we haven't experienced the truth. During the wrestling match, Jacob sees God's face. He experiences the reality of being in God's presence. And because of that, there's a shift from his independence and his selfishness and his scheming to a place of surrender and dependence on God. And in verse 26, Jacob says to God, I will not let you go until you bless me. And In verse 27, God asks Jacob, what is your name? And in verse 28, God says, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Here, God renames Jacob. There's a rebirth here. Braxton and Shelley Towery gave birth to a baby girl this week, and they named her Lydia Lane. Now there's something very significant and intimate about a parent naming a child. They and they alone have the authority to name her. And by so doing, they're giving her a series of sounds that will forever identify her and hopefully remind her who she ultimately belongs to. In verse 28, Jacob is reborn and given a new name. God his papa speaks directly to Jacob's father wound and his identity crisis. This led to so many poor choices and actions throughout his life. God looks him in the eyes and says, Jacob, you belong to me. Your identity is found in me and your future will be determined by me. You are my beloved and I will care for you. And your name is no longer going to be Jacob, the heel grasper, the deceiver, the schemer. You shall now be called Israel, the God striver, or the one who strives after God. God blesses Jacob. God speaks words of life to Jacob, who's now called Israel. God transforms Jacob's identity. And the truth of this blessing that was given by Isaac and God that he knew in his head now had moved to his heart. And there's a transformation that takes place. This is the chapter where we see the selfish, scheming Jacob shift to be the God striver, the one who strives after God. And in verse 29, Jacob asked him, please tell me your name Or this can be translated, please, God, show me your face. Like Moses asking God, what is your name? Jacob does what all of us were created for, and that is to seek the face of God. We were created to see God's face. We were created for intimacy with Him. It is by seeing God's face that we are fulfilled and sustained and transformed. And for now, we see His face dimly, but when He comes again, we will see Him fully and we will be made fully known. In verse 30, Jacob says, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. He has seen God face to face and lived. And then in chapter 33, Having seen the face of God and survived, Jacob can now move toward his brother with less fear and continue receiving the blessings of God. For back in Genesis 32, verse 11, Jacob asked God and prayed to him to deliver him from the hand of Esau. He told God that he was afraid of his brother. And then in, verse, in chapter 33, verses 1-11, through 11, we see God answering Jacob's prayer. In verse 1, Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. Now, before this uh, uh, occasion with God, Jacob would have just been so overcome with fear. But what we see here is he's not as fearful. In verses 2 and 3, he divides his household in two parties just in case there's a catastrophe. And Jacob, who normally would be in the back, went ahead. And then Leah and her children, and then of course, Rachel being the favorite one, and Joseph were in the very back. And when Jacob gets closer to Esau, he bows himself to the ground seven times until Esau came near to him. And then if you look at verse 4, I can't help but think when Jesus told the story of the prodigal sons, that he was thinking of this very occasion. Because in verse 4, you see Esau, much like the prodigal God, demonstrating extravagant grace as he pulled up his robe and breaking with all ancient Near Eastern customs, he takes off running towards Jacob. And Jacob, not knowing whether he's going to be tackled or whether he's going to be hugged, stands there and I love this scene because Esau with a big smile on his face he hugs Jacob he embraces him and he kisses him just like God does with the younger son the two estranged brothers are reunited both brothers weeping aloud with joy and then shortly thereafter the rest of the family arrives and they bow down to Esau and then Esau in verse 8, he sees all the cattle and the goats and the other, other animals and he's asked, what do you mean by all this company? Esau saying, why did you bring all this cattle and all this material things? And Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. And I love Esau's expression of grace here. He tells his brother, I don't need for you to perform for me. I don't need for you to pay for my love, to pay for my forgiveness. My love for you is unconditional. I don't want any of those things. I'm okay, Jacob. And I believe in verse 10, hearing this, we see another profound shift in Jacob's heart and in Esau's relationship. He receives his brother's forgiveness and acceptance. And he says to him, For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you accepted me. And then Jacob goes on to say, so accept my gift not based on merit, but based on a demonstration of my love for you. Grace motivates Jacob to love. And Jacob, having received God's love, like in the, the finale of Les Mis, one of my favorite plays, Jean Valjean, he cries out, to love another person is to see the face of God. When we love others unconditionally, we see the face of God. We stand on holy ground when we get the opportunity to unconditionally love those around us to forgive those around us, to reconcile with those around us. It is in those moments when God's light breaks through the darkness of the evil empire and God's kingdom is expanded. It's in those moments when we love others that we see the face of God and we worship Him. And so I wonder this morning, who is God calling you to run after, to love, and maybe even to possibly forgive today? Who might God be calling you to extend grace and mercy to so that you in loving that person might see the face of God? We often come and we think our problem is the main problem. But the good news of the Gospel is that God wrestles us to the ground. And sometimes He even wounds us so that He might build us back up. Jacob wins by losing. Just like Jesus. And at this table, we see the demonstration of this. Jesus limits His own power. He serves His disciples a meal. is hung on a cross and loses His life So that we might live. May we too be marked by losing our lives so that his kingdom might pierce through the darkness. So that his kingdom might grow.